0: Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.
1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh- Reason you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What is up, Nets World? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for clutchpoints.com. Here for a solo episode today to recap a Brooklyn Nets loss last night in Boston on the back end of a back-to-back. And I try to refrain from game recap pods because, frankly, there's not always enough shelf life. There's not always enough juice and content from just one game. It's better to focus on overarching themes. But when it's a loss of this magnitude, 136 to 86, a 50-point loss – The second worst loss in Nets franchise history and the worst loss since the team moved to Brooklyn, after which there were some precarious comments from Jock Vaughn and more so Mikhail Bridges, stuff that seems very relevant to the state of this team and where they could go moving forward. I felt the need to dive in and break down some of what went on here. And frankly, just an abysmal, embarrassing effort from the Nets. I'm a guy who's followed the team. Since the New Jersey days growing up in Jersey, was there for the 12 and 70 season, have seen some just pitiful Nets teams and Nets performances. And for this to be the second worst loss in the history of the franchise, while I don't think the team is as bad as those 12 and 70 Jersey days or anything like that, it says a lot about how they can let go of the rope on a night like this, entering the all-star break And the only thing that saved the Nets from this being the worst loss in franchise history, which was a 52-point defeat against the Houston Rockets in 1978, was the Boston Celtics dribbling out the shot clock with a minute remaining and then doing it again on the final possession. So twice in the final minutes, just taking pity on the Nets, putting them out of their misery, throwing them an olive branch, if you will, and... For that to be the case in a game like this, you know, where the Nets are matching up with one of the the best team in the elite of the NBA, it's embarrassing for that to have to be the case at the end of a game like this. And diving into just some of the numbers before I get into some of the quotes and some of what we saw after the game and how the team frankly looked from a morale standpoint, the Nets scored 17 points through the first 17 minutes of this game. The offense was just completely non-existent. They scored 30 points on 13 to 43 shooting in the first half. For the game, Mikhail Bridges was the only starter to reach double figures. He had 10 points on 4 of 12 shooting. And then defensively, they allowed Boston to shoot 22 of 44 from 3. And it wasn't even Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, who didn't even play in this one, sat on the back end of the back-to-back, who was doing the damage. It was Derek White and Peyton Pritchard. And those guys were just absolutely frying the Nets guards namely Cam Thomas and Dennis Schroeder in that switch everything scheme that the Nets have been playing of late and not that those guys are bad players Derek White is frankly you know one of the best stories of the season and a fringe all-star player and I tweeted about it last night just an absolute steal the fact that the Celtics got him for the 25th pick what ended up being the 25th pick in a draft and one pick swap one of the best trades of the last decade and just an absolute incredible deal that has vaulted them into being the best team in the NBA, among other things. But it being Peyton Pritchard, who's a fine player, but a guy who's frankly not even in the Celtics rotation, probably come playoff time, it being him leading Boston in scoring is a good microcosm of the issues with this Nets performance. Because when you lose by 50, it's more than just talent. It's more than just coaching. You have to question the buy-in of the players because the effort in this one was abysmal. And the buy-in of the players, obviously, that going straight to head coach Jock Vaughn and the rest of the coaching staff of not having the guys in a state where they're ready to play. Are the Nets, you know, were they looking forward to the all-star break? This is the last game, a week off, whatever, back end of a back-to-back, whatever. Celtics were on a back end of a back-to-back too. They didn't have Jalen Brown, you know, Kristaps Porzingis left with an injury in this one. Nobody wants to hear the excuses, and it's disappointing that I have to say that because after this game, Jock Vaughn was questioned about the buy-in of his players, and as I said, the effort, just routinely getting beat down the floor in transition, 23-6 to in second chance points, no movement, no initiative offensively to spark anything in the half court, and Vaughn was asked post-game if he felt that he wasn't getting through to the players, and this is what he had to say. Uh, do you look at this and say, well, this is this is a unique instance where guys' heads were not right and they were, is he focused on their mini-vacations? Or do you look at this and say, man, what I'm telling these guys is not getting through, I'm not getting through their heads? This
0: no, Brian, I think it's far from that. These guys haven't played together. Um, you know, CJ's never played with Dennis Schroeder, and it goes down the line. Uh, Dayron just being back tonight, Uh, get him some minutes. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think you can count on your one hand how many times you've seen games like this from this group.
1: And you know, my reaction when I see that quote on the post-game press conference, I wasn't at this game, I was covering it from home, but was following on the Yes broadcast and posted that quote on Twitter. It's just soft, man. And I I understand that, Jock, after a game like this, you don't want to rip in and tear into your players and just completely... Deplete whatever morale is left entering the all-star break. You don't want to lose them So you're walking a tightrope of trying to, you know, hold people accountable whether that's yourself or the players while also not just completely tearing apart the team but Just soft man after a 50-point loss and the effort that his team put onto the floor Whether you want to take accountability yourself whether you want to put some of it on the player some of it on yourself, whatever excuses aren't the way to go because Every team in the NBA can make excuses if they want to when things aren't going right. And, you know, is there some truth to it that, you know, these guys haven't played together and there's a lot of different iterations? Yeah, sure. You know, the Nets have been injured. As I said, a lot of different iterations of the team. They just welcomed Schroeder, Cam Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Daron Sharp, all coming back from recent injuries. But... I'm okay with that if this, you know, that comment, if this is a 25, a 15 to 25 point loss, something like that, where the Nets at least showed some battle and sh- some grit, some heart. But after a 50 point loss and you're down by 46 at the end of three quarters and none of your starters look like they showed up to play at all, nobody wants to hear it, man. The excuses are contagious. It's like, I don't know if you guys ever watched Hard Knocks, Jarvis Landry know got clowned on hard knocks with the browns when guys didn't want to practice during training camp talking about injuries it says excuses are contagious it's contagious so kept saying contagious but it's true and if you ever if you ever played you know competitive sports at anywhere near a high level you know that once those things start to creep into the mind of players of coaches of whatever and that becomes the fall and you know where you go after a loss like this it's not a it's not a recipe for success for you know fortitude for being able to have any resilience it just it infects your whole team and it's not something that you want to hear from a head coach like I said he's not going to rip the guys but you don't want to hear that and players don't want to be ripped they also don't want to hear excuses from the head coach they don't want to hear excuses from themselves either so you know it's about much more than chemistry in a loss like this and You know, I see the fan reaction, all the vitriol is directed straight at the coaches and Jock Vaughn, which has been the, uh, the case all season. And I understand why, because as a fan, it's the easiest thing to blame. You often don't want to admit that the players might be a big part of the problem because it's much easier to replace the coach and hope things will improve that way, as opposed to the players being the main issue. But I mean, how about a little accountability for the players here? from Nets world. I mean, I understand Jock Vaughn, you know, him not having these players in the position to be bought in is a huge problem and he deserves a ton of criticism. But when I'm, you know, sifting through the rubble of the disaster of the night last night and looking at the reactions from a lot of the Nets fans, it's all directed towards Jock Vaughn. And, you know, there's no accountability for the players. How about a little accountability for the players? Where's the leadership? Where is it? On a night where you're losing by 50 points to the Boston Celtics and their reserves are just pummeling you, where is the leadership? You look at this team and who are the top two guys that the players are going to look to to make stuff happen? It's Mikhail Bridges and it's Cam Thomas. And the issues there is that neither are is a leadel, uh, vocal leader on the court. That's a big issue. And it was evident in a game like Wednesday when Bridges has 10 points on four of 12 shooting the defensive impact wasn't really there. I guess it's a little tough for him to make a defensive impact when you're switching him off everything on ball screens. But, you know, last year Nets fans were complaining ad nauseum about the team's rebounding. So what do they do? You know, they go to a drop coverage at the beginning of the season. Then fans are complaining about the defense. So they go back to a little bit of a switch everything screen. There's, there's roster holes there, but just not an inspired performance from Bridges. And then the other guy, Cam Thomas, Thomas had five points on one of nine shooting in this one, and he's getting fried on defense. And I can understand that to some extent because no one has grand illusions of Cam Thomas being a good defender. You know, you would hope maybe it could be better than this and he could be an average defender. But if you're not going to do that, and you're going to be that much of a liability on defense, you cannot be a zero on offense like Cam was on Wednesday because that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be the bucket getter, the guy who can make up for some of those liabilities as a defender with your offensive output. And to put up five points on one of nine shooting in a game like this and just look like couldn't get by anybody, didn't really look like he was trying to get open too much off the ball. You know, Same thing down the roster, but Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas are the two guys that the team is looking to to make things happen. And they were nowhere to be found last night. So who is the guy in those moments that's going to step up and say, we're not going to let this happen. We're not going to let Boston go up by 45 or 50 points on us and let their reserves toast us, let Peyton Pritchard just have an absolute field day, crossing guys over, stepping back, going baseline, throwing in reverse layups. Who is going to say this isn't happening against us? Who is it? And, you know, it's it starts with, you know, I guess you could say it starts with the coaching and that's the issues going down the roster with guys not being bought in. But at the same time, a lot of the best teams in the NBA are player-led. And just in sports in general, there has to be leadership from within the team, from within the players. There has to be accountability. There has to be a guy that can rally the rest of the guys and hold people accountable on the floor. For all his issues during his Nets tenure, Kevin Durant having you know questionable decisions off the floor, when he was on the floor, he was holding guys accountable. He was saying, we need more from you, even to Kyrie Irving, to everybody down the Nets roster, no matter who was playing, whether it was their best versions at full strength, whether it was G League guys, Kevin Durant was on the floor, you know, in guys' faces saying, we need to make this happen. And I get that might not be everybody's leadership style. That might not be a Mikhail Bridges or a Cam Thomas's leadership style. Those guys are, you know, a little bit quieter and a little bit more lead by their play, but they weren't leading by their play last night because neither of them was anywhere to be found. And, you know, the, all the, the vitriol, as I said, is going to be directed at Jock Vaughn, and he deserves a lion's share of it, if not most of it. But I see a pretty glaring imbalance in the reaction to not holding any of the players accountable. Because, you know, like a guy like Cam Thomas is a guy that a lot of Nets fans, you know, wanted Jock Vaughn to give the reins to offensively, Wanted to have more of a feature role. Wanted to be more consistent. They've done it over the last month. They've given Cam Thomas the keys to the offense so much so that Spencer Dimwitty, you know, pretty pretty much forced him out the door and he quit on the team because he was relegated to an off-ball role. And Cam Thomas has it. He's getting the role in a game like this for him to be an absolute zero offensively while having his normal defensive issues. There needs to be some accountability, you know, directed towards him. And he needs to be a guy who needs to perform better than that. Because if he's going to be a star, if he's going to be the thing, all these things that Nets fans think that he's going to be, and that I think that he can be, you cannot have performances like this. It just can't happen. Because if you do, it's going to get embarrassing to the point where, you know, it did last night. So. Jack Vaughn deserves a ton of criticism for how this team performed, the lack of buy-in quotes I'm about to get to, but the players also need to be held accountable for not showing up to play last night and not having any effort. And that starts at the top with Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas. And getting to some of Bridges' comments after the games, he had two quotes that really stood out to me after this one. The first being just about reacting to this loss and you know, how you go about, you know, moving on from a game like this. And he pretty much said that you can't brush it under the rug. You can't forget about it. It's not just move on. Here's exactly what he said. So nothing gets lost in translation.
0: You got to learn and then if, if, if fix the issue. That's pretty much what it is. You can't just let this one go and think like, oh, like let it drop. Like, no, like, yeah, maybe if you maybe lost towards end, but you got beat by 50, it's not just
1: let it go. A lot of is, is not right and you got to fix it. And Mikhail might have had a rough game, as I said, and he might not have you know, been in guys' faces you know, demanding things on the court. But after the game, that quote is a stark contrast to what we heard from Jock Vaughn. And that quote is a quote of somebody who's angry, who's fed up, who doesn't want to make any excuses or brush us under the rug, and who wants to take that head on. So that's you like to see. And then the second quote was more specific to coaching and talking about the offense and different plans for – you know, when ben simmons is in the lineup and out of lineup simmons missed this game you know on the back end of a back-to-back he's not playing back-to-backs coming back from that back injury here's what bridges had to say
0: again it's just it's difficult it's tough um just the scheme sometimes just you know being in mismatches a lot you know switching everything and then offensively then again it's tough again because a guy like ben who plays and is not here today. It's a different dynamic when he has it. You know what I'm saying? And it's um I mean nobody plays or guards Ben like anybody else really on our team unless it's a big and Ben has it a lot and even when we have Ben, it's not really um, a super offensive running. It's like he gets it, goes and we kinda of play off him and you know, guys back up so he could dribble and then dribble handoff and stuff like that, but we don't have him out here so it's kind of like we can't play like that. We can still play fast, but kind of get us in sets and do stuff, and think we're gonna have that tonight
1: now, I have several reactions after hearing those quotes from Mikhail Bridges. and the first and the thing that I immediately popped into my head is the head coach and the top player aren't on the same page, and that's a huge issue. and it's honestly funny because I just talked about this with Brian Lewis on. My trade deadline reaction pod less than a week ago, the importance of being on the same page with your top player. Because the Nets have, you know, said that or at least given all indications that they weren't trading Mikael Bridges. They were buffed offers from the Houston Rockets ahead of the deadline that would have returned them several of their first-round picks from the James Harden trade. Said, you know, everything they've said is we're building with and around Mikael Bridges. And for there to be quotes coming from from Mikael Bridges like this after a game like this. Where it looks like he's on a completely different page from the head coach of the team, it's damning. There, there's no other way to put it. It's a really, really bad look. And I talk about the importance of being on the same page with your top guy. Look at the Nets' recent implosion with their big three, James Harden, going behind the Nets' back and talking to teams across the league. You know, going reporters going so far as saying he was formulating a plan to get out of the Nets before his final season and then coming back to the Nets and bullshitting them to their face to the point where they're caught off guard by a trade request to Philadelphia days before the deadline. Kyrie Irving expecting a contract that was never coming based on some of his actions there, getting to the point where he had to force his way out, and the Nets had to get whatever they could for him. Kevin Durant requesting a trade and asking for the coach and GM to be fired. You'd think that the Nets would learn a lesson of not being on the same page as your top player. And while I don't think Mikhail Bridges is anywhere – you know, near similar to those guys in terms of personality or obviously the caliber of player that he is or a guy that would do those kinds of things the way that those three guys did or conduct himself that way. Him, you know, a mild-mannered guy like him stepping out of his shell a little bit and, you know, pretty much openly criticizing the Nets' coaching staff after a performance like this is a really bad look. And you would think that the Nets would have learned what can go wrong when you're not on the same page as your top player. And, That top player has to be in line with the coaches and management in terms of what the vision is from a team building standpoint moving forward. But then more obviously, how is the team aiming to operate on the court day to day right now? And it seems like there's not a lot of clarity surrounding that from Jock Vaughn or Mikhail Bridges. And the reason for that being a lot of those things are so unclear because there are clear roster imbalances with this team they don't have a lead scoring option. You know, that's particularly frustrating for a guy like Mikhail Bridges because he's being asked to do a lot more. He's asking, you know, being asked to be that top guy and he's clearly not comfortable with it. He's a guy that's better when he's being set up by other guys, you know, like he was being in Phoenix. And that kind of brings out the best of his game from his skill set as a spot up three point shooter, from his skill set as a secondary creator and scorer, and then also being able to focus more of his energies on the defensive end. The Nets don't have that top scoring guy. And the other one is, you know, Cam Thomas is expected to be a guy like that. And you bring him out, but then there are games like this with a guy like Cam Thomas. He's 22 years old. He's taken a huge leap this season. He's established himself as a lead scoring option alongside Bridges. But There are still games like this. We've seen several in the last five, six games where Cam's going to put up some stinkers and he's not going to be there to be that guy. And then you couple that with the fact that he's a below average defender. So when he's not scoring, he's not really impacting other areas of the game. Those being your top two guys are going to present some issues because they're two guys that frankly aren't anywhere near ready to be that option for a team that's going to compete at a high level. And then you can go on down the roster. You know, Cam Johnson returned in this one. He's been battling injury and is frankly underwhelmed when he has been available. And then you go back to that, like Nick Claxton, a guy who's a secondary player is going to do some other things, but even he has issues where when you're playing some of the more physical big men in the league and you know, who can do some things that give him trouble that presents its own issues. So it's, I've talked about this at several points throughout the season, but You know, there's imbalances with the Nets and there's trade offs with every player that you bring onto the floor. There aren't a lot of guys that are complete, you know, two way players who can dribble, pass, shoot, defend, do all those things. There aren't many of them in the league, but that's why, you know, you need those guys to be able to lead a team and to be able to kind of establish the pecking order and give you a clear idea and, you know, formation of how things are going to go and operate on a night to night basis. And the Nets don't have it. And that's why I think you're seeing. A lot of these frustrations from Bridges coming out and you're seeing a lot of, you know, Jock Vaughn kind of spinning in circles and looking for answers. Now, do I think that there are things that he can do better? Yes, definitely. Particularly with getting guys ready to play and just having them in the right state of mind. But that's easier said than done when there are all these issues, you know, from a roster standpoint. And just, I said two things that come to my mind when I see quotes like this from Bridges and that second quote you know ben simmons being in and out of the lineup you got know, that quote was directly about the nets need to have a plan when ben simmons is in and when ben simmons is out and you know because bridges was saying that they play two completely different ways when he's in versus out when ben's in he's handling the ball a lot in the half court he's spamming dhos at the top of the key which frankly i think has its own issues because i don't think it's effective at all and i think it's a huge issue moving forward But with him, they're obviously trying to play faster in transition. They have him facilitating the ball. That's been a main focus of their offense when he's on the floor. Jock Vaughn said earlier this season that they don't want to play in the half court. They want to be out in transition. But then when Ben's not on the floor, that transition game isn't there as much. So you have to play in the half court more. So this is, you know, the issue with Ben Simmons. And I've, I said this, as soon as he got his back injury diagnosis earlier in November, I wrote an article about this right after And I wrote about the troubling reality of Ben Simmons and his state with the Nets. And pretty much, you know, that article is on Clutch Points. You guys can go find it. I'll link to it below in the uh, bio under this. But pretty much he's an unreliable player, obviously, was the, you know, synopsis of the article. And him being that unreliable, the takeaway for me was that you can't have him – you know, playing a feature role, playing heavy minutes, being a starter, doing these things within the Nets offense. And I get it's tough because there's times where it's looked good since he's been back and, you know, he's created things and made things easier, but then he's out and he's not on the floor. And then, you know, you have issues of the team, not knowing how they're going to play because Ben has come back for, he's been back for nine games. He's played in six of them. So he still missed three of them, whether that's for you know, he had a knee issue and they wanted to do some injury maintenance after his first game back. So he doesn't play, then he's not playing on back-to-backs, whatever it is, you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. He's not playing, you know, at the rate that he needs to be. And is that going to change moving forward? Maybe it can, but no indications have been given that that is, you know, going to be the case based off these last years. He's played in what, like 50 something games out of like 210 over the last three seasons. So, to have him coming in and out of the lineup as a starter, then he's out, then the Nets have to play more in the half court, then he's back in, then they're trying to play in transition more. And even when he's in the half court there, it's completely different offense because you have two non-shooters and Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton on the floor. It's just so many moving pieces for a team that can't handle that. And from a coaching staff that clearly can't handle that right now. So that was the other thing that I took away from those Mikhail Bridges comments. And you know, there's not an easy answer to that right now. Frankly, I would, you know, I would potentially think about bringing Ben Simmons off the bench when he comes back and playing him in, you know, a more limited role where he can come in and be a change of pace guy, as opposed to working him up to a starter who's playing all these minutes and then he's out again. And then the team doesn't know how they're playing. You know, it's, there's not easy answers to any of it. And that's one of several roster imbalances that I just touched on and several issues with the Nets that are leading to them not knowing how they're playing, but, they better figure it out fast with Mikhail Bridges because this is a guy who is their top player. And if you're going to be giving signals that you're going to be building around this guy and that you're going to be with this guy for the long run moving forward, you cannot be losing by 50 points and then having him come out after the game and pretty much openly question the coaching staff and what's going on because it's sending signals across the league that it's just a complete you know dumpster fire right now with how the Nets are being managed. And could it change moving forward? I think it could. I think that this all-star break is much needed for the Nets. I think that, you know, they'll look obviously to hopefully get healthier and have a clearer vision of what they're going to be moving forward, not have so many moving pieces in and out of the lineup, not have to change how they're playing all the time. But, you know, if I'm the Nets coaching staff, I, I need to take a look in the mirror and I need to ask. Does our top guy, Mikhail Bridges, know what the plan is here? And if not, how are we going to fix that to avoid outcomes like this moving forward and to get the most out of this team and get him in a position where he feels comfortable with what his role is? So that's pretty much the long-winded takeaways from an embarrassing effort from the Brooklyn Nets last night. They're now – 21 and 33, I think. 21 and 33, two and a half games back of the Atlanta Hawks for the last spot in the Eastern Conference play playing tournament. So they're in 11th place in the Eastern Conference right now. They've got 28 games left to figure this thing out to try to get back on track to try to see if Jock Vaughn can get these guys to play at a level that honestly I think they could be playing. At. I don't think that they're this bad. I do think that there are issues and imbalances with this roster. But they're a team that we saw earlier in the season, had some capabilities of things that they could do against some of the upper echelon teams of the NBA. So, you know, hopefully they can get back on track there. They're kicking off a four-game road trip when they come back on February 22nd in Toronto. And then they have stops in Minnesota, Orlando, and one other game that's not coming to my mind right now. So I'm going to be taking a few days off after this podcast. Then I'll be coming back. May do a pod giving out some you know midseason awards and predictions for the rest of the way with a guest to be named later in the coming days. But but that does it for this episode of Believe in Nets on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe on all streaming platforms. We're free everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Smash the like button. Leave a five-star review if you can. It really goes a long way. You can find all my work, Eric Slater, at ClutchPoints.com. You can follow all my tweets for constant news updates analysis on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. I'll have more coverage for you guys soon. We're going to be coming out of the All-Star break, and that's got a stretch run coming up. Hopefully they can play some better basketball than what they did in Boston last night, and we'll have some more things to talk about moving forward. Be back soon.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook with innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today for generations to come because that's what really matters. Bridgestone solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. My son had a gift with technology
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure...